We Have Issues is a weekly podcast full of reviews of comics and oversharing. We use grown-up language to make very childish jokes. You can find the show at wehaveissues.net, as well as anywhere else where average to not too bad podcasts can be found. Welcome to episode 111 of We Have Issues. Uh, 111 is quite a difficult number to say, apparently, when you are, are between sneezes, as I appear to be. Um, I think I've kicked up some dust around here. I don't think I'm coming down with, with anything, so don't worry about me. But thanks for asking, listener. Uh, this is a podcast about comics, and in a minute I'm going to let a couple of people talk to you about comics, uh, because you don't want to hear me banging on. Uh, you can... Listen to all of our previous episodes and this one if you want to re-listen to it at wehaveissues.net. Um, there are quite often show notes on the episodes depending on how uh, lazy or proactive I'm feeling. Uh, we're also on Twitter at issuespod, all one word. And uh, there's a Facebook page. Uh, if you search for We Have Issues, you should find that there. We're also Patreon-supported. Um, we use Patreon to pay for... Uh, hosting and, and stuff like that. And we're very grateful to all of our contributors. Um, not contributors. We have people who contribute to the show, to all of the people who support us on Patreon, all of our patrons. Uh, you can uh, get in on that action. That sounds like you get loads at, at, out of it rather than just uh, a couple of podcasts that are normally late. Um, uh, but yeah, so you can, uh, uh, support us on patreon at patreon.com forward slash totp um and you can listen to us and subscribe to us in your podcatcher of choice of course uh, apparently if you rate and review us there that can be pretty good for spreading the word about us um also just telling anyone who you think might enjoy the show about it should help i am a firm believer in personal recommendations so anyway Sometimes we're in the studio. Uh, this episode, we're not in the studio. We've got a couple of contributors. We've got uh, George Beedham uh, is going to talk to you about the Hulk. Um, and Max Barnard is going to talk to you about Batwoman. And uh, I've been wanting to try and convince James, my podcasting spouse, to read a comic called Dungeon for a little while. So um, I finally got around to trying to force that on him in the last couple of weeks and so we're going to share that with you one thing uh, i want to tell you about before that is a friend of the show and uh, the man who did the theme tune at the beginning david Wynn, uh, has a new comic out it's called uh, unsworn uh, you can read it online uh, so far there are there are a few pages up there they look beautiful a few pages a few panels uh, they look beautiful no words so far so it's very quick to read um, it's called Unsworn, and you can read that at unsworn.tumblr.com. Tumblr spelt the way the website is spelt, T-U-M-B-L-R, not the way uh, an actual Tumblr like a glass or something would be spelt, because that would be ridiculous. Ooh, ooh, somebody could set up a site called tumblr.com with the E and steal all of their business, couldn't they? I wonder if anyone's thought of that. I need to get onto Google. 
so what I'm going to do is uh, I am going to pass you over to George and then uh, let you listen to my conversation with James and we'll round out with Max because he's always good to round out with and I will speak to you again at the end. It's getting dark and it's starting to snow so of course now is the perfect time to go for a wander and talk about comics. Uh, I'm your host, the frozen husk of George Beedham. You can find me on Twitter at GB, G-E-E-B-I-E. Um, and I'm on Instagram and Facebook as GB Draws. Um, yes, today I'm going to talk to you about Hulk issues one and two. Um, I'll get the credits out of the way while I can, while I can still see. Um, so it's written by Mariko Tamaki. Um, I should also apologise for mispronouncing pretty much all of these names. The art team is Nico Leon and Dalibur Talajic. I told you, didn't I? And the colours are by Matt Miller. Um, I really enjoyed these two books. So we're picking up with Jennifer Walters, formerly known as She-Hulk. Um, I guess she's still known as She-Hulk, just not just the book's not called that anymore um yes so we're picking up with her after the events of civil war 2 don't worry i couldn't be bothered reading it either basically jen got smacked around by thanos a lot and bruce banner got shot to death by hawkeye which is just mean um all in all not a great crossover hulk wise um yeah so we're picking up where with Jen in her apartment. Um, she no longer sort of transforms to she call she Hulk. I can't even say it at will. Um, now it's more the very similar to how her cousin Bruce used to transform, with it just being rage based. Um, so, and needless to say, she has a few issues after the last couple of months um I'm just trying to cross a road don't mind me Man, people are dicks aren't they yeah and you mate right anyway uh, yes uh, Hulk 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 um so oh, I've completely lost my train of thought yes so we join in uh Jen, she she says herself she no longer feels sort of empowered uh, by the transformation like she used to. It's now very much rage and fear and stuff and trauma that seems to drive it. It's a very uh, painful experience which she tries to avoid by watching uh, cooking shows um, to take her mind off whatever it is that's triggering the, transform- uh, triggering the transformation. Why did I try and say that when I can barely feel my face? Anyway, um, it is a really good book. It's um, it's not. It's quite different from all the sort of really bright and um, happy uh, sort of female-driven books like uh, Squirrel Girl and Ms. Marvel and Captain Marvel uh, have been of late. Um, it still stars a powerful woman um, 
but she's very damaged and quite fractured um, and she's quite sort of scared of that power as as you would be if you couldn't really control it um, so she's Jen is going back into the world after a bit of rehab um, after the events of the last couple of months she's back working at the law firm that she was pointed at by uh, Patsy Walker where she meets her client uh, client who is uh, Miss Brune um, she she is a small mousy looking lady who um, is living in fear of being forcibly evicted by her scumbag landlord um, needless to say this doesn't sit well with Miss Walters um, I don't want to bang on about what actually happens too much because um, I've already recorded a 10 minute version of this which I don't want to repeat because um, it's way too long um, but yeah it's a really it's a really good book it's a really interesting sort of um, look at kind of recovering from trauma um there's a there's a lot of stuff that will speak to you if you've been through I almost said something similar but I don't think many of us have been punched around by a space god um if you've been through sort of traumatic events then you'll recognize the sort of um the attempt to kind of keep things bottled up and presenting a air of normalcy for the rest of the world while you're struggling not to freak the hell out and kill a bunch of people um oh, maybe that's just me and maybe that's just hulk um yeah if anything it reminds me of um bruce jones his hulk run in the early 2000s which i think was called return of the monster uh with john Romita jr on the art details where hulk was sort of a kind of a looming presence but you didn't really see any of him he was just sort of um a threat almost a bit like uh, punisher used to be in garth ennis's run um you sort of see the start of transformations with jen but we haven't actually seen a full transformation we haven't actually seen she hulk um as she is now doing anything um there's something else uh, involved with her client as well, who's a sort of another looming presence and just a just a voice at this point. Uh, two issues in, but it's really compelling. It's really intriguing, and it's really sort of grounded um, in uh, in this sort of recovery stuff, which I always find fascinating. Um, yeah, I think that's enough. I can't really feel my fingers. And um, and it looks like it's given up on snowing, but it's still bloody cold. So, um, yeah, I think that'll do for me. Uh, I'll talk to you later. Goodbye. Hello, who's this? Hello. 
Hello. You know who it is. It's me. It's my name came up on the thing. Is that you, God? No, it's Nick. I know oh. you think I've got a God complex. Um, listen, listen, listen. You know um, how you don't really do... Uh, we have issues that much anymore. Very rarely. Um, and you know how that's partly because, like, you were... Um, you weren't you weren't sure how much you were contributing anymore. You don't really like comics that much. Oh, um, I, can't, I can't stand them. No, have I ever mentioned to you how how little I like them? You don't. You you're not really reading them that that regularly that that not, much. And not not in the moment. No. And so and and so there's that. And you know it's all cool because that that show isn't remotely struggling to come out um, regularly without. No, so without I hear. Yeah, I hear you there. Hold on, mate. And, and you know how you don't listen to any of the ones that you're not on? Well, uh, you know, it, it takes me a while to get around to it, Nick. So, <laughs> but, um, but the thing is, so you might not have, not, like, over the last couple of weeks, I've been having a bit of trouble because I haven't really been list, uh, reading that, that many new comics. Okay. Um, I've basically, um, there's a comic I mentioned. I think I might have mentioned it back on Momcast, and I had a couple of volumes of it way back when. It was uh, um, a, a guy, uh, a comic uh, artist we know called uh, Warwick Johnson Cadwell. Oh, I like him. Yeah, he suggested this comic to me a while ago, and I'd never heard of it. It's a French comic, and um, and I and so I read a couple of volumes a long time ago, and I think I talked about them uh, on the podcast way back when. Um, but then they were sat on my wish list for ages, uh, on my Amazon wish list. And, uh, I didn't really think about the comic again for ages, but then I got a few more volumes of it for Christmas and I've basically just been devouring it. And that's what I've been really reading for the last few weeks. Well, it must be good if it's grabbed your attention like that, Nick. Well, I think it is really good. Uh, but the other thing is that, um, it's the more I thought about it, the more I wanted to read a lot more of it, um, read a lot more of it before I talked about it properly on the podcast. And, and also the, I only really wanted to talk to you about it. Okay. Because, um, for various reasons, which will become obvious, it's, uh, it's basically this really long story about these two people. Um, they maybe, they had friends maybe down through time, but, but they weren't always that close to people. One of them had to um, ha- had to behave in ways he wasn't always happy with uh, to be around other people. They wanted him to be more happy than he was. And uh, and the other one doesn't really have any friends. But then they start podcasting, and they're podcasting for seven years. <laughs> and that's what the that's what the comics about. So I only really thought I could talk to you about it. Right. Okay. That's that's none of that's true. Oh. Okay. And basically, it's this uh, it's this comic series called uh dungeon Ooh. it's french in french the title is dungeon 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 uh it's spelled different uh it's uh it was created by Johan svar and louis trondheim uh or trondheim who were two creators i'd heard of be- i think i'd maybe seen stuff by them before years before but um because they've got a very cartoony style that you probably have seen small strips by them before Sure. Certainly, Louis Louis Trondi, Trondi, Trondheim's a name I'd heard before. Um, I'm going to be a bit useless in terms of knowing how the creator, um, how the the creator roles are broken up in these because um, 
they aren't the only two creators who work on it and there's a reason for that as well which i'll get to but basically this comic so the main comic it's called dungeon and it's set in this dungeons and dragons style dungeon Ooh. but it's from the perspective of the people who run the dungeon so cool. did you ever um play a pc game called uh, dungeon master I think I may have done yes. Yeah, it's a long time. It's a long time ago, but it was a very tongue-in-cheek uh, uh, video game. But it was uh, like a resource management sort of well, not a resource management game, but you you created this dungeon that uh, adventurers would come to, and so you generated the monsters, and you had to make sure they were all fed and stuff like that. Yeah, um, it's it's basically a lot like that, but that's that's the backdrop to it. Um. Most of the characters are either anthropomorphic animals or they're sort of like other strange creatures. Um, and there are some focal characters, but basically it's this really rich and ridiculous, um, very uh, satirical um, comic about one of these, about this place, the dungeon, uh, which is... Um, it's run by The dungeon. Yeah, which is um, run by um, a guy called Hyacinth de Cavalier, who's this uh, really greedy capitalist. Um, the the first the first of the comics I read wasn't actually the main comic. It was uh, there were a bunch of spin off books, and the first one I read was um, one of these spin off books, and it was actually about this um, this rival dungeon. Uh, this guy who ran a rival dungeon across the um, across the uh, country or whatever. The the land this all happens in is a place called Terra Amata, and um, and the the first story I read was about this guy who basically he started poaching all of Hyacinth and uh, Hyacinth's monsters from the dungeon by giving them better conditions. Uh, but Hyacinth Hyacinth didn't know this. He sent off. He sent off some monsters to find out what his rival was doing because he he knew that something was going on across the country, but he didn't know what. And none of them returned, so he assumed they died. So he sent some more, and none of those guys returned. So he assumed they died, and eventually he went looking to see what had happened. And he turns up, and it's this place is basically a theme park, but with a dungeon (laughs) theme. Nice. And so he starts finding his people, and they're just employed as sort of... Uh, scary mascots or whatever it's like disneyland or something brilliant so the right there you know something's sort of special is going on there's the the basic um there's the basic premise which you could get a lot of humor out of because there are all these monsters and some of them are really hapless some of them are really good actually there's this really interesting um balance sort of tension between uh the fact that actually this is a really well-running dungeon. So even though there are all of these ridiculous characters in there, and some of them are rubbish, one of the main characters is a guy called Herbert the Duck, and <laughs> he is actually inept, um, and he gets thrust into thrust into adventure by accident um, through a bureaucratic error, basically. Um, but most of the other characters are actually pretty good at what they do. Um, but then you get that whole other layer of, uh, you get that whole other layer of social satire in there. You can probably, you can probably immediately tell why I wanted to talk to you about this. Cause you like Euro comics, but what I've just described is Gru the Wanderer fits very cleanly 
it you know that's exactly how i'm i'm actually picturing it as sergio aragones well um, and and that's the other thing is the art is really um at first glance it looks really rough and basic this this isn't helped by the fact that there's more than one artist on it but at first glance it looks really rough and basic and some of the main characters are very well drawn but then the backgrounds are very like um they look almost rushed yeah um and 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 you kind of when i was first reading the book i i understood why um why it appealed to warwick because uh his work has has that uh that sort of almost deliberately unrefined look to it that at a glance if you aren't uh if you aren't um persisting with it you mm. might think the person was like uh drawing in a deliberately rough like was drawing in a rough way because that because they couldn't really draw do yeah you, but in, you... obviously i can't speak for the art in this but certainly in warwick's work that's about that's the the energy of the pictures absolutely and, yeah and, and... and the energy of what's happened is in that kind of um, the strange elongated forms that he he draws. Abs- abs- absolutely, and that's exactly what's kind of going on with this. And and I think the same with Gru. The um, the the weird thing, uh, uh, maybe this speaks to to me as the reader and what I like in comics, um, or what I have liked in comics. That um, the first point at which I re- I realised that the artist did the artist did actually know what they were doing <laughs> um, is was when the first few bits of violence happen when someone gets uh, chopped up or the head gets chopped off or whatever and then you notice the really clean the cleanness of the of the yeah. cuts yeah like the segments that the, they they get cut into that's where the detail comes in and you're like oh no hang on a minute this is actually really detailed art i was just missing it because the the cho- the other choices being made are so bold yeah. Um I um I read this the uh, uh NBM have done a, a a bunch of volumes of it. Um and in book form um it it looks really nice but um I've I've read a lot more of it digitally since then and it, and it looks absolutely gorgeous on a on a tablet. The colors in it are really pop and are really re- really bold and again that that's where grew kind of uh it, Grew comes to mind an awful lot. Yeah. Um, and obviously there's a very Gallic sense of humor to a lot of it as well. So, I mean, I, I was writing, a, I was writing a list of things, um, that I was going to try and organically bring up. But, um, but I might as well just tell you that in like the volumes I've read, there's bawdy humor, there's social satire, there are characters with these realistic ideological motiva- motivations. Um, and they, but their goals are constantly compromised. So there's that thing I was saying, that weird tension where people are competent, but ridiculous things keep happening yeah. to them that slip them up. Um, and there's all, also this really non-binary approach to good and evil. Like they don't, they don't spend loads of time dwelling on the fact that, that they're subverting this thing where the adventurers go in and the monsters are bad and kill them. They yeah. don't spend loads of time going, Oh, but we're following the bad guys. That doesn't really happen. Even the evil characters in this, it, it, barring a couple of um, outliers, the characters who do bad things, you sort of understand their reasons for them. They're not necessarily sympathetic, but they're not just like evil 
there are real world ideological motivations that that sort of uh, that um make it more interesting yeah so you you're reading you're reading a car- like a very cartoony thing but it doesn't feel like it's cartoony there's farce in there as well there are in especially in some of the books there are real stakes uh, some of them are pretty dark actually um which I'll get to in a minute there's sex there's actual naughty times there are nipples brilliant and I'd, um, I mean, I mentioned bawdy humour. Uh, it, I'd, I'd say that it's only about five or ten years behind where you and I are in terms of, like, our relationship to that stuff. Okay. It's, it's not like reading something from the 70s when it comes to how it treats its women. But it ain't, all woke, of, it ain't woke like us. No, well, all, I mean... Well, no, but we feel a little bit... Even if we don't necessarily understand why, we feel a little bit icky when we see, like really uh, over-the-top objectification, don't we? Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Sometimes we understand it. Sometimes we just realise that it's a bit icky. There's not... There aren't... Um, in at least one of the streams, there are some some uh, really interesting female characters, but it is mainly male characters, and there is some bawdy humour that comes out of that. Yeah. Um, but obviously there are lots of monsters. In the, main, um, in the main run of things, there's a talking belt that refuses, to, that refuses to let Herbert the Duck use the sword in the scabbard unless he does three actual heroic things. Brilliant. Because only a hero is allowed to use this uh, sword. There's a Batman analogue in one of the streams that's really interesting. Um, and um, and there's this convoluted cross-continuity that I've hinted at that that r- can be really exciting to read because it's, it's one of the interesting things about reading American comics when, like, you first started and you used to just get snippets here and yeah. there but you can ignore it if you want okay the the thing that the thing that i found really interesting about this to begin with is um that there's the dungeon there's the main dungeon story which i think was the um was intended as the original thing it's generally called dungeon zenith when it's referred to okay. but then there are the then there are these other volumes which are made by the same people but by different artists. Um, the three main tracks are Dungeon the Early Years, which follows um, uh, which follows the guy who runs the dungeon, Hyacinth de Cavalier, um, when he was young and idealistic. And that's the Batman analogue I was talking about. Okay. The dungeon is only mentioned in passing in that. Um, he 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 jumps back there, and you start to see how the foundations of the dungeon that you'll see later on are formed. But mainly, it takes place in a um, in a city where he's sent to um, he's sent to study or to work for his corrupt uncle, and he ends up um, he ends up becoming sort of a Zorro figure, jumping around in the night. Sometimes it, that's where the main uh, competent, but also like keeps getting beaten up and stuff like that <laughs> thing I was talking about comes from. And that's certainly one of the most challenging um, in terms of that's that gets quite dark at some points. Um, he falls in love with a woman uh, that he just can't, he just can't seem he's super idealistic and he just can't seem to tell that she's this completely amoral assassin, even when she's even when he ends up implicated in, some of her activities. <laughs> um, and I think that's my favourite volume in, in terms of um, uh, how it's drawn as well. Um, 
Again, I, I, the, uh, the thing I'm looking at says the art in that is by Christophe Blaine and Christophe Gautier. It's a lot like, all of the books look similar. They all look similar to, um, the, uh, initial run, but that art is much more refined. It's much cleaner. Sure. Um, and then the other series that I've been reading a lot of recently is Dungeon Twilight, which oh. is set like, it's difficult to tell how long after. Is it got vampires, right? Um, <laughs> not, no, not exactly, but it oh. is basically everything's gone pear shaped. So the dungeon oh. still exists, but now, um, you, um, you see Marvin the dragon, who is one of the main characters in the, in the main dungeon series. Um, he's like the grudging hero, I, I suppose, of, um, of Dungeon Zenith. Um, you see him, but in a much changed form. He's he's clearly at the end of his life. Herbert the Duck is in there, but he is he is also uh, much corrupted. Um, the world is just, you know, the world's already the, the the world in Zenith is a lot like the world in Gru the Wanderer. Okay. Um, and actually, in the early years as well. But in the in the Twilight book, it, it doesn't just look like the dungeon that's um, like. The, coming towards the end of its life it feels like the whole of Terra Amata is just in a state like it's been overtaken by um, this malevolent force everything's darker the colour scheme in it is all much darker so the, it's the, all, all post-Trump yeah basically yeah it's post-Trump um, well no because I said that the uh, there's no um, there's no definitive uh, good or evil in it so it's all about Trump oh oh <laughs> Uh, no, I mean, there is no, there is no definitive good or evil in it. Fair enough. The, the evil characters, you can kind of see how they've ended up that way. Um, and it isn't just that they're monsters, uh, the way, the way Trump is. I'm, I'm willing to go out on a limb and say that. Sure. Um, so while, got we're, depth. while we're they, still allowed to. Yeah, that's true. Um, and that also, it, the, the volumes I've read so far, they're drawn by, um, they're drawn by Svar. Who uh, was one of the um, one of the original creators of it? And again, the art in that is much crisper, if a lot darker than it than in Dungeon Zenith. And there are a whole bunch of other volumes. There's Dungeon Parade, which is just all short stories between the first two volumes of the the main book. Um, and then there's another series called Dungeon Monsters, which I haven't actually had a chance to read yet. But that's just basically about supporting characters who turn up. And there's a wide variety of um, artists on that. So there's loads of this to sort of consume. There's loads of content to consume. I think it might still be ongoing, although uh, Wikipedia says the publication date is 1998 to 2014. But it it seems like they're quite ambitious about how many volumes they intend to do with the the numbering, because the way the numbering works... um, I think the way the numbering of the comics works, it, it's sort of um, the the Zenith books apparently began at number one. This is where they were originally published by Delcourt. Sure. The volumes, the volumes I've got are by MBM, uh, but they're obviously the American editions. Um, so the Zenith books began at number one, but then Potron Minette, which is um, Dungeon in the Early Years, uh, begins at minus 99, and then Twilight, Donjon Crepuscule, um, starts at 101. Oh, that's very difficult. Yeah. I mean, that, the volumes, the MBM volumes, the American volumes are, um, 
much clearer because you know they they they're pretty distinct about which eras they're talking about and actually i think the french volumes probably are as well um but that numbering thing is just a nod to this is a timeline um depending i get the impression depending on the when you talk to the creators sometimes they thought that was just a cute thing which would indicate the amount of time that had passed other times when they're feeling particularly ambitious they're like yeah definitely we can do 300 books of this <laughs> this is yeah. this will be easy so um but yeah i've got this don't worry mate no i'm on it nothing <laughs> can possibly go wrong but um i mean they do work with a lot of different artists and the artists are all of a of a style um the character models they're always on point with the character models um and you know the way the locations look it's just the the it's almost um a, like when you see different inkers working on the same artist yeah the difference between the artist tends to be in the level of at the level of um the level of detail of the line work or whatever at least to my eye that's the case anyway sure. um but it's really rich stuff and I uh before I wanted to talk to you I wanted to go back and reread some of the stuff that I read a while ago uh, the the first bits I read yeah and um I it was recognizably the stuff I'd read before but it still felt really rich and new and there were loads of little jokes I hadn't quite got because I was still trying to work out what the fuck this what the fuck <laughs> sort of a comic <laughs> this was going to be what has Warwick got me into sort of thing um, and I want you to read it. I really want you to read it because I want to know what you think. I will. What, right now? Yeah, so right, get, I mean, I want you to go away and read it now. Um, no. And I mean, I want to lend you my lend you my copies or whatever. And cool. um, and um, and yeah, I want to know what you think because and, I'll, and I'll, I can come back and talk about it here. Yeah, it's like it's all the stuff that I think. Not necessarily when you're talking about American comics or English comics, but when you're talking about um, Asterix, but also when you're talking about Gru. I just mm. uh, I just decided Gru isn't an American comic. Well, yeah. Serge Aragonés has a very European sensibility. Mm. Um, it interests me for more than one reason. It's, it's possible, Nick. It's possible mm. that somewhere on the other 10% in the next few months might be the... Um, First episode of a, a Dungeons and Dragons uh, podcast, so that's Ooh. that's all very uh, all very uh, prescient. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's quite cool. I mean, it's um, it's certainly an interesting milieu, and um, it's it's funny because it's familiar enough at this point to us to people yeah. well no i think just culturally the whole dungeons and dragons thing is so familiar at this point mm. that it's kind of ripe to take a sort of a sideways look at it or yeah. several different sideways looks at it yeah i agree so so yeah i wanted to talk to you about that um you can go back to whatever it is you're doing i mean when you're not on we have issues you basically just wanking yeah i've got i mean basically i've got a little hole that i've dug in the ground and um, uh-huh. i just kind of live in there and wank cool yeah. Cool. Okay. Um, uh, you are getting out to like uh, um, high uh, hydrate and stuff like that, aren't you? Well, I, like the rain builds up, so I've got all the water <laughs> I need. Good. Good. You're being practical. That's what's yeah. important. Um, I'll let you go now, James. Okay. But thank Thanks. you for talking to me about this comic. 
That's all right. It was my pleasure. And, and yeah, it's nice. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. Hello, audience. It's me, Maxi B, the sensual bull-bearing of the We Have Issues crew. And I'm here today to talk to you all about the sort of thing I've wanted to see in DC's Rebirth one-shots by reviewing Batwoman Rebirth by Steve Epting, Marguerite Bennett, and James Tynan IV. I always struggle with that whole number thing at the end of the name. We're going to have a bit of that, bit of that, this contribution. With these Rebirth one-shots, DC has presented each title with a fantastic opportunity to give readers a concise 20-ish page look into the past of the featured character, a look at where they are now, and to hint at what they could be to come were readers to follow them into their ongoing title proper. Now, not every one of these I've read has done this, like Green Arrow notably was literally just the first part of a story. Uh, but the ones that really did do it stuck me more so than the others. Uh, Titans had its clever use of triggered flashbacks in the midst of conflict to then give us a bit of past and present, uh, and then a bit of discussion about, oh, what's going on for the future? It's not, you know, didn't really do the last part, but it's fine, it's fine. And Red Hood, which, oh god, Red Hood, what's up with Scotland Dell nowadays, man? It's good. It weaved in, like, some partially revised elements of Jason Todd's history that better informed his actions in the one-shot themselves, and it made clear his aims going forward into the series properly. as like a mission statement. And that... that was intense. And neither of these actually compare to how well Batwoman Rebirth approaches the idea. Like, the issue opens on this page that has, like, this real clear approach, uh, sort of page with... Uh, uh, Kate Kane at one age, surrounded by shards of herself at different points. Uh, at ages, uh, Kate Kane being Batwoman, uh, at ages 9, 20, 23, 27, and some mysterious point in the future. We're going to get to explore these over the course of the issue, and each individual moment helps readers get to grasp who Kate is, the trials that have defined her, the world she's going to return to in the ongoing series, uh, ex- explicitly like as one of the storylines, and the future she'll have to actually face one day. It's a good tease, and it's incredibly well placed in an age where comics previews give that peek at the first few pages of a comic. A curious previewer would see this, and vague as these images are, know the sort of content they'd be in for should they spend the £2 on the full issue. Which also, like, £2, god, comics... DC have a good price point, especially digitally. I know it's going to suck for print people soon, uh, for the monthly titles, but, ooh, digital two pounds, it's good. The stories told at each point in Kate's life are intriguing, by the way, in that a good three of them are actually retellings of stuff that Greg Rucker did in his character-defining stint on Detective Comics, which is r- risky. That run is adored, including by myself, and for good reason. To tap that same vein, to present an opportunity to be compared to Rucker, and oh god, to be compared to J.H. Williams III? The utter confidence required to do that with a fan-favourite character, to believe in your ability to contribute something new in these glimpses on both the writing and the art levels, it astounds me. More so because they completely nailed it. Steve Epting is one of my favourite artists, if not one I feel like I don't mention enough, and the work done here is stellar, easily matching the beautiful work achieved on Velvet for Image Comics, which, by the way, is an essential comic to read. And for all that could be said for how much less experimental his panel layouts are compared to Williams the Third, 
I can't say I noticed until it came to write this contribution. The sheer skill involved in pulling you into the flow of every page, the fantastic sense of continuity, and like the strange shards laying out the pages at the start and the end of the issue, there's more than enough going on to keep me amazed the whole way. The writing as well. Marguerite Bennett I've read in more than a couple of places, and she's never been anything less than stellar. But I've got to admit, I've not read anything close to enough of James Tynan IV's work. And if any of it is on the, the level that this comic is, like, I have to remedy that sharpish. Like, I'm literally, when I'm next paid, I'm ordering that first volume of Detective Comics Rebirth. Anyway, all the characters have these distinct and clear voices. The story is fantastically planned. This is a duo I never would have imagined, but it is clearly a match made in heaven. Also, holy shit, look at DC Comics making sure to have an LGBT character handled by LGBT people. That's that's actually really important to me. It feels right, and Kate's interactions with the various women of interest in this one shot read fantastically as such. Or at least I, I feel... That made the difference there. I don't want to speak for the writers. That would be kind of fucked up. Oh, the the future peak. The peak of the future. As well as the unknown bit in the future, which is like a draw-dropping place to leave the issue off on, uh, we also get a coming soon in the pages of Batwoman page, which is this fantastically laid out piece of panel work showing four scenes from future issues of the series without like a definite sense of context, but it gives you just enough just enough to desperately, oh, so desperately want to know just how these things are going to come about and what they mean. I don't know if I really got across what I wanted to hear, but um, I guess ultimately the important message is that Batwoman Rebirth is great and made by great people. Steve Hepting on art. I mean, God, yes, sure. Okay, the guy who did the Marvels Project and Velvet and Captain America back when that wasn't a bit of a problem of the series. Uh, to send you all back to the studio, but first, a, a, a little a little tip for all you guys at home. Visit friendshipeffortvictory.com because uh, I'm, I'm back to actually doing website stuff and my podcast is coming back soon. So this is a shameless plug, but keep this between you and me. Don't let Nick know. He'll get jealous of how good I am at writing about manga that he doesn't read. Here I am again, as promised. Uh, thank you to Max and George and James for talking about comics, for you, the listener, and for me, the Nick, putting this show together. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. I feel like I've been talking about comics a lot on the internet, writing lots of little bits uh, in uh, probably overly verbose comments on other people's Facebook pages. Um, there has been stuff happening in comics in the last few weeks, but compared to the stuff going on in the rest of the world, it seems fairly trivial. The uh, question of digital comic pricing came up again, uh, as um, I believe DC are, are lowering the prices of their comics, uh, the digital versions of their comics, and obviously retailers are quite upset about that. That's uh, the latest volley in a conversation uh, or a dispute or a controversy that's been happening in comics for several years now. We talked about it at length on a, on a Momcast, which was the previous show to We Have Issues. Um, 
and and all of the same arguments have have been coming up again recently uh, but um you don't need me to lecture you about that uh, if you're friends with me or anyone who knows me on facebook um you've probably already heard me banging on about it uh, and uh and we'll doubtless be talking about that again in the near future um if we're all still here in a couple of well next week if we're all still here by the end of this week uh, episode 112 will be out but until then thank you to all of our patrons uh, thank you to our contributors george max and james and thank you to you listener you're wonderful uh bye bye <laughs>